the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello. I'm excited to have you with us for the Zozo Championship Tournament Preview from Chiba Japan at Narashino Country Club. Keegan Bradley was your winner last year. We hit on him outright on our podcast preview then, and we'll try to keep it going this week where we will not be betting on JT Poston, and he will not absolutely break our hearts and render us unable to feel anything for the rest of the weekend. Uh, We're getting ready for the first, the only fall uh, FedEx Cup fall event across the world. It used to be the time before COVID where the FedEx Cup fall went to a bunch of different countries uh, to show off the PGA Tours international series. But with after COVID, not really a thing anymore. But we do get this event in Japan where uh, local son Hideki Matsuyama's won previously. Uh, we've also had Tiger Woods win over there as well. And six of the top 50 players in the official World Golf ranking, more than any other in FX Cup fall field so far, this is the third one, are in the field this week. So it should be pretty exciting. Xander Shoffley headlines the odds board at 7.5 to 1. But before we get into our outright cards, Spencer, what is your best bet for the 2023 Zozo Championship? I'm going to have very minimal exposure to this board. We were talking about this before the show started, and I'll get into some of my stance there in a second. But I I did think there was a head-to-head matchup out there that presented some value. I'm going to go with K.H. Lee minus 120 over Joel Damon. All right. K.H. Lee had really been struggling for a while over the end of the summer and at the beginning of the fall, but really strong showing for him last week. So I'm excited to hear that handicap from you in just a moment. And my best bet is actually going to be an 18 hole matchup. So just a first round matchup, which you can watch on Wednesday night because of the time change. We get night golf this week. Very excited about that. My 18 hole matchup with Akshay Batia minus 115 over Davis Riley to win a half unit. But first, before I break that one down, Spencer, why are you fading Joel Damon against KH Lee? I mean, I think you'll notice throughout the space, Roberto, that a lot of tickets are on Joel Damon this week. And, you know, it's an it's an interesting spot where we have two golfers here in Lee and Damon who you mentioned this at the start, like they collapsed with their games throughout stretches of the year before finally turning the corner to begin the fall season. Damon has posted back to back top 13 finishes after missing the cut at the Fortinet. KH Lee has two top 14s and three starts with a missed weekend sandwich in between at the Sanderson Farms. All of that should show that the form is mostly back for each, albeit there are a few typical hiccups that are still getting thrown into the mix from the duo there. So when you get that answer of both golfers golfers receiving a recent public perception boost, I think that the long-term data becomes much more critical when handicapping the matchup. That's kind of where my numbers took this large deviation inside of my sheet for expectation for this event. Lee's profile looked exactly like how a top 30 option in this field should. Uh, He saw an increase on the soft greens that were fast. Uh, That was a pronounced total there where that moved in his direction. The recent ball striking told the same story. 
And then it really just came down to how respectable his data appeared when given these more extended par four setups and the ability to score on the par fives. That's an explanation that we'll dive into deeper when discussing the venue. But Damon had the exact opposite factor emerge within his data when I ran my numbers. My model projected him outside the top 60 for weighted scoring. Uh, you know, this is a field where there's only 70-something players, obviously not where you want to be. The soft greens were fast when we got a soft, fast greens there. He ranked 54th over the past season. And then while the recent ball striking did show the increased ability that we've seen as of late, it just felt like he had a, loss, a lot less upside for an event that you will need the ability to spike because every golfer is going to get four rounds. My model had Damon as one of the most significant fade candidates to consider taking on an any iteration of the market that you can find. And I thought doing it with KH Lear at minus 120 was a really advantageous route to go in this direction. I like it. And you mentioned a lot of your projections for this week, which I'm excited to hear about, given that we don't have much data for this event, maybe the least of any event on the PGA Tour, given a combination of we don't get strokes gain data here. And it hasn't been played at this course very many times, just four times in the tournament's history. So not a lot of data to go off of and a small sample size as well in the data that we do have. Um, and also it's happening oftentimes in the middle of the night. So tough for a lot of people to watch during the fall series. Uh, but excited to break down the course with you in a moment. But my best bet mentioned earlier, Akshay Batia minus 115 over Daily Rively to win a half unit. To me, these two golfers are similar in that they both have a low floor, but Akshay Batia has a significantly higher ceiling than Davis Rally does right now. Davis Rally's been super inconsistent this season on the PGA Tour. And a year ago, if you would have given me this bet, I would have taken Davis Rally all day. But he is one of the worst players in this field around the green. And with these small greens, he's going to be missing green. So it's going to be important. And he's also struggling to putt. He made that huge putt on the 71st hole of the Zurich Classic of New Orleans when he and Nick Hardy went on to win. And that putt pretty much clinched the victory for them. And But since then, not a lot to like for Davis Riley. It's pretty shocking that he won that tournament at all. He followed it up with four straight missed cuts. He's missed the cut in three of his last five starts as well. And since that win at the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, which you mentioned is a two-man event, he's not finished inside of the top 30 a single time. And that one time came last week. So he's flying across the world to compete against... Batia, who has a high ceiling. Last week, it was pretty interesting looking at his numbers at the Shriners, where he had spike weeks or spike days, all four days on putting around the green approach and off the tee. It's just a matter of him putting them together. And I would have probably preferred this to be a 72 hole matchup rather than an 18 hole matchup. And if I can find 72 hole matchup, I'll definitely do that because, like you said, his ability to spike will help him. I think he'll have at least one spike round throughout the weekend. And Davis Riley, I'm not sure that that spike round's going to come. So I really like Patia over Davis Riley. Patia's been in stronger form, already won on the PGA Tour a little while back at the Barracuda. So really like Patia. I'm bullish on his game. I don't think this is the best course fit for him, but I do think he's got a lot more firepower than Davis Riley right now, who's still really searching for his game. Uh, he's pretty decent off the tee, but it's been a struggle everywhere else for him. So I'm taking Batia minus 115 over Davis Riley on Thursday, which in the States will be our Wednesday night. Spencer, the Zozo Championship is at Narashino Country Club in Chiba, Japan. Talk to us about what you are weighing in your model, given the absence of strokes gain data this week. 
Yeah, Roberto, these venues that lack data are never my favorite because they take away a lot of the handicapping strategy that we like to talk about on the show. It's probably better this week for DFS because I have a different take when it comes to the optimal approach to tackle this venue from a projection standpoint than most. That alone separates my ideal roster construction for unlimited field contests that needs any outlier stance that you can find, but it's always going to be a precarious game to play when you create such a dynamically different blueprint for what you're looking for to find success inside of the betting market. The course should definitely be labeled as a claustrophobic design. I don't want to discredit that stance with my differing take. We see substantial tree-lined intangibles present throughout. That's going to create the need for golfers to move the ball in multiple directions because of the dog legs of the facility. Naturally, that's going to put extra credence in the bucket for accuracy over distance when talking about a 7,041-yard course that doesn't present a natural distance appeal. However, this is my take on it. I don't think length is something that you should completely discredit. Uh, there's a way to look at this outside of the box when you're making your model. Most of the impactful scoring from either a production or an avoidance answer will come when a driver is in hand. We have five par four holes that range between 486 to 505 yards. That'll rank as the most challenging locations for the week. That presents nearly a 40% dispersion expectation when faced with the par four setups. We also have this intriguing collection of par fives that range from easy if we look at the 562 and 587 yard examples at this course to the beyond challenging 608 yard behemoth, which on average yields a 21.9% birdie or better rate. That's going to be one of the lowest percentages that you'll see all season at any stop for a PGA event. We can obviously still extrapolate out the proximity data based on specific variables. That part of the game is going to be easy enough to form a more advanced opinion. But I always keep try to at least keep things minimal from an exposure sense. When you get this like three-pronged nature of limited data, a no-cut contest, the smaller field narrative, when that pops to the forefront of the conversation, I typically try to remove a lot of the, the stake that I have in an event. Maybe there's something to be said about the green complexes showing uh, soft but fast every year. There's an extended answer to that where scrambling and bogey avoidance gets a boost because you do have holes that have multiple pin locations on each screen. Kind of talked about the par four scoring example where the five most difficult range from that 480 plus range. Um, as I talked about with there being multiple pin locations, golfers are going to have to be cognizant of that when approaching the putting surface. But it, it goes back to the lack of concrete trackable data kind of just removes me wanting to put much stake into this tournament. Like, Obviously, Roberto, you and I are here to talk about value. We're going to present anything that we found on this board that we think had that, but I'm just not going to find myself all in pressing the pedal fully to the ground. I think that there are better events to do that. There's probably better ways to get your money exposed into a market than, um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of bets and we always talk about on this show. And like one of my big things is every bet has a ramification to it. So you know, every bet counts for something. If you start throwing away units on an event that you shouldn't be overexposed to, it, it trickles down to where your ROI is going to decrease. It's more difficult to to play catch up in those moments. So uh, it's going to be a very light card. It's probably going to end up equating to one of the shorter shows that you and I do together. But um, that matchup and my two outrights are really all I'm on this week until things change. I thought you made a lot of great points there, Spencer. And uh, you mentioned the variety of hole locations because every single green has a double green. So they can move the pins around to crazy different, to significantly different locations, uh, which is a really cool aspect. 
of Japanese golf that who knows, maybe we could implement in the States when we build some new courses uh, to spice things up a little bit. And one other thing, it's a 7,079 yard course, but it's a par 70 with five par threes. So plays a little bit longer than you might assume for a 7,000 yard course. Uh, whereas other 7,000 yard courses you might think would be just a plotter's spot, but because the par threes add in some hidden distance with the par 70, I think that will means that this is a real ball strikers course. You look at players who've won here before Hideki Matsuyama, Tiger Woods, Keegan Bradley last year, guys who are, who have a complete game throughout the bag and who can capitalize on some of these smaller greens, smaller targets, and just get a decent putting week because you need to be in that 15 under range to win here, uh, which is why you don't necessarily need to be the best putter if you can ball strike this tournament to death. And I think we've got some similar guys on our cards who are very capable of doing that. So without further ado, uh, before we get into our outright card, actually, Links and Locks is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. They believe that every sport should be epic. Every touchdown, every game, every point, every play. From the, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today with code ACTION. That's A-C-T-I-O-N. And you'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just one single dollar. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older only. Must be present in Colorado, Kentucky, Iowa, New Jersey, Ohio, or Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia. Or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Spencer, who you got on your outright card for the Zozo Championship this week? I gave this exact answer last year when talking about this tournament, and and I think a lot of the concepts are going to apply. You you obviously have to pick the right name when you get down to this, but this feels like a top-heavy card that presents a handful of options for us to consider. Typically, with the answer here, I'm okay with betting Xander and calling it a day. I'd be fine taking two choices in, you know, your group of Morikawa, Fowler, Cameron Davis, Sungjae Im. We could go marginally deeper than that answer and into that J.J. Spawn, Eric Cole, Keegan Bradley, Adam Shank range. Uh, I think that's gen- generally where I'm going to draw the line this week, though. I- I'd be relatively surprised if someone over 50 to 1 won this event. I know the no-cut and limited field concept typically feels like it opens up the possibilities for everyone, but I've always landed under this mindset that giving all the best players in the tournament a guaranteed four days will end up separating the actual upside options at a challenging course. I chose to go with the two-person route and started with Colin Morikawa at 11-1. If you shop around, you can find this as high as 14-1 at some books in the space as of this moment of us recording. I released it originally at 11, and I will keep it at this number for the sake of our tracking here. But don't be afraid to cash out if you got that number early and you see a better price in the space and you have a book that allows you to do that. I am usually not a Morikawa guy. I was surprised that my model landed under that mindset when I did take such a distance-heavy approach compared to most. But there were just so many high-end returns that the other players in this field couldn't match when looking at his weighted proximity, GIR percentage, weighted scoring, and the recent ball striking. My math thought those returns generated the highest ceiling outside of anyone not named Xander Shoffley. Uh, There's obviously that argument that I made at the beginning that betting Xander and calling it a day is in play, 
but the Morikawa route felt much more intriguing because it did allow me extra room to add Ricky Fowler at 20 to one. Unfortunately, that number has dropped a little bit. I see that more now into the 16 to one range, but I think the interesting thing with Fowler is anytime that you move the winning score into more of that 15 under projected range that you talked about, Roberto, Fowler should take a jump in expected win equity. My model saw an increase in his anticipated weighted proximity at Narashino. And the second place grade for expected scoring when considering all 18 holes at the property only further heightened that ceiling for a golfer who has experienced a robust turnaround in 2023. Much of that answer for this venue stemmed from the high end outputs on the problematic par four locations, plus those par five birdie or better creations compared to the field. We'll see if he can overcome a relatively slow few months after winning the rocket mortgage in July, but uh, I thought this was an ideal course fit for him. Like we can always have the discussion about what is Fowler's true win equity in some of these tournaments. And I mean, that's a discussion to be had that we could go deeper into, but um, it kind of goes back to my original answer here. If, if I'm cutting this off at, let's say sub 50 to one to win this event, I mean, all of a sudden now we've removed most of the field and there's going to be a few options that are overpriced, obviously. I mean, you're always going to have that when you get these juiced up boards and you're going to have a handful of names that really start propelling up for value. And it just so happens for me that most of my value and most of my win equity landed with like the five, six, seven favorites in this tournament. So I was just trying to figure out how could I get as much exposure to that range as I could thought the Morikawa route with uh, Fowler was the best way to do it. But I will say I strongly considered Sung JM. I strongly considered Cameron Davis. I ultimately didn't get there, but um, that kind of, for me, is how I'm looking at this week and how I'm trying to build a card. A little fun fact for you about Ricky Fowler. Uh, so he resides in Jupiter, Florida, but his middle name is Yutaka, which comes from his maternal grandmother, or sorry, grandfather, who is Japanese. So would be pretty cool to see Ricky Fowler get a win this week in Japan. And we know that the narrative uh, has prevailed here with Hideki Matsuyama already winning in Japan before uh, earlier at the Zozo, at a previous Zozo Championship. And one other thing you mentioned, a reason why we should like the favorites in a shorter in a shortened field with 77, 79 players like this week, there is no wave advantage where if you play in the morning on Thursday and the winds howl in the afternoon and some elite players get knocked out of the field and then there's really half the field has a significant advantage and it provides chaos and allows players who had a heater on that one day when the weather made a turn and eliminates some of the better players. That's not going to happen. All these guys are teeing off within a two, two and a half hour window of each other. So there will no be will, will not be a significant wave advantage, which means even more of a chance of the big name players getting a win. As a result, I have a very similar card to you, Spencer. Uh, last year we mentioned we hit on Keegan Bradley, 35 to one. Keegan was a guy who is an elite talent in that field, who had been struggling mightily with the putter. And we locked onto it that the putter was turning around for him and we cashed out because of it. There's no one in that range that I can really see, make the same kind of argument for. And so I've got three plays this week, the first one being Colin Morikawa. Unlike Spencer, who does not normally bet on Colin Morikawa, I do. I haven't bet on him this year because he's been, it's been a rough ride for him since the uh, Century Tournament of Champions, which we're not going to discuss. But this course was tailor-made for him. Tight fairways, 
small greens, uh, slower, softer surfaces as well. That should all work in his favor. And he is the best iron striker in the world, has been for about five years over that period of time. I think that if he plays this tournament 12 times, he's going to win one of them. So I bet him at 12 to 1. I also bet Sung Jae M at 20 to 1. Thought that was a really good number on Sung Jae, who's flashed some form recently. Uh, won that gold medal in the Asian Games in the team competition with Siwoo Kim. You mentioned the perhaps he'll have a weight lifted off his shoulder narrative. I'm not betting because of that, but I also like that he doesn't have to travel because travel significant ways like many of the other Americans in this field or golfers who've been playing or and are based around in America, because Sung Jae M has been playing in the Asian Games, even playing in South Korea. He's playing that type of that style of golf course, and he's in good form. I like Sung Jae at 20 to 1. And then I also bet on Taylor Moore. Number grab on Taylor Moore, a guy whom I am very high on. Spencer, you and I both hit on him to win at the Valspar at 70-ish to 1. At 80 to 1 in a field that isn't that much better than the Valspar, at least at the top it's better, but in the middle, it is not. I like Taylor Moore's chances, and he played here last year, finished in the top 15, finished uh, T12, and he gained over a stroke and a half on the field per round, or over a stroke and a half uh, in strokes gained per round. So I really like Taylor Moore's game. I'm going to buy on him this week at a big number, just because I think he should be more so in the 50 to 60 to 1 range when I compare his quality of golf to others in this field. And given that he's a guy who can go super hot with his putter that gives him some upside that a lot of other guys in this field I think don't really have so hopefully Taylor Moore can piece things together and get that putter hot but otherwise short card for me with Sung J.M. and Colin Morikawa oh go yeah. ahead Spencer no I was just going to say I mean it's a very similar mentality that both of us took on and I, and I think it's it's a unique approach because we didn't discuss this before we did the show together and uh, I never know what you're on. You never know what I'm on. And and it's it's an interesting take where we landed up on the same options. And it kind of just goes back to that answer that both of us have talked about with every single golfer in this field is going to be able to get in four rounds of golf. It's a difficult scoring venue where there's not a wave advantage. There, I think that difficult answer beyond anything else is what makes this unique. And there are certain players that are better suited to win at these challenging tests. I think you know, you hear the name Sung J.M. come out of my mouth quite frequently on this show for anybody who tunes in all the time. I, I mean, maybe this is one of those situations that my model's just much higher on him than the general public is. I, I very much so consider to go that route. I could give that answer for any single tournament that Sung J's ever in. I don't have a problem with anybody who wants to do it with that. But I mean, it's like the Sung J, the Fowlers, those are the guys that, that received the biggest win equity boost that I had inside my sheet. Uh, the one that was interesting to me is the one that you just mentioned in Cameron Davis. Uh, my model really liked him, and maybe that's where some of that distance came into play for him, where he saw a boost in my math that I wasn't anticipating people being on. Now, I will say for DFS contests, he looks to be very popular, and maybe that just comes down to this recent form that we've seen four, we've seen five top ten finishes in his last six starts. I think this is a supremely talented golfer. Um, I've always mm -hmm. thought he's one of the best upside players. If he ever could put the pieces together because of his skill set, it's like the same answer that I've always thought with a Cameron young, like those are two guys. If they ever can just make it work, they can really start winning a lot of tournaments here. So uh, I don't mind the number on Cameron Davis. If you want to go the route, if I'm just going to give one other random name that I thought was intriguing that I didn't get to 
that would be a JJ spawn. I think some of those numbers that are approaching 60 are very interesting. Uh, this was a golfer that before last week, I think he had over 30 something consecutive rounds of shooting par or better. Uh, just really been in form recently. Now you can make the argument that what is his upside on a normal week? I don't know. I mean, that's a discussion that we can have, but when the scoring gets more into this 14, 15, 16 under par range, he was the third biggest climber for me in that type of a tournament. So uh, I didn't get there with Spawn just because I didn't think I had enough room to actually put that onto my card after I went with the Morikawa Fowler route. But um, like I kind of said, if you have the ability to be able to get higher than the 11 to 1 than I got on Morikawa, whether that be between 12 and 14, all of a sudden it does open up a little bit more room to fit in a Spawn type player if you you know, do want a little bit extra exposure. Cause I, I, as I keep saying, I don't anticipate this being some week where I have more than, you know, three or four units when it's all said and done. Going off of the units number, I shortened my win equity this week or win number this week, win target this week to six units from a normal eight units, just because of how aggressive I'm getting. So yeah. in total risking uh 0.875 units to win six units, and Cam Davis is the first golfer I left off my card. I had given out stale numbers like we have with Sung JM, who's moved mostly to around 14 to 1 in the market. But if I didn't bet that one, I would be putting money down on Cam Davis in the 22 to 1 range. I agree with you that he has a ton of talent and he's really starting to put it together. If you look at his data golf page where you can see breakdowns on strokes gain from putting around the green approach up the tee over his last handful of tournaments. There's green everywhere. He's been solid throughout the bag. It's a matter of time before he wins. And if you look at how he's played throughout the season, he was sick at the beginning of the season. So perhaps some of other people's numbers are skewed by that period of time when he wasn't playing great golf and then bounced back, had some top six finishes at the players in a super strong field. Then T4 at the PGA, where he gained over 3.4 strokes per round, which Normally on the PGA Tour, that wins. So he just did it in one of the four strongest, five strongest fields in golf and didn't get the payoff. But T4 at the PGA Championship, really impressive. And then, like you said, top seven finishes in both of his starts so far in the FedEx Cup fall. So I really like Cam Davis. If I didn't have that Sung GM number, I would have gotten that one. Uh, or I would still bet it. And in tournament, he's one of the only golfers whom I might try to buy in on low. If he shoots two under and the leads at six, seven under par after the first round, but otherwise not many guys whom I am keeping a close tab on during the tournament. Spencer, speaking of Cam Davis, I also wanted to ask you, this was one that I considered playing for the full tournament, him versus Sahit Tigala can actually get plus a hundred for the 72 hole matchup uh, in the two way market. Would you consider making that bet against Tigala? I like the Gala probably more than the average person does. Um, I think that's an interesting number grab if we're just going in that direction. Like These are two top 10 players for me inside of my model. So uh, mm -hmm. if you're purely number grabbing the situation, I, I don't have an issue with it. But, you know, I, I think Cameron Davis, until we get a correction in the market, and I don't think we've received it yet. Like, I know a lot of people are going to see that 22 to 1 price and think that that move has been made. I mean, this is a weaker tournament where there's only 70-something players, as we keep saying. Like, you have to spread out the win equity differently, and the numbers move in that direction with it. But um, I don't know if you have it up in front of you right now, Roberto, but, like, I mean, what, mm -hmm. Cameron Davis is probably ranked 
inside the 40s in the world, I would say, uh, without having 42nd. the number. Okay, so 42nd in the world golf me, rankings, 28th by the data golf. I was going to say, I think he is legitimately a top 25 player on the PGA Tour. Um, when you get those sorts of discrepancies where the world ranking maybe has not caught up to the skill set, and, and I think a really prime example to that and that I always go back to would be the Wyndham Clark answer, where Wyndham Clark mm. got this surge in his data, and then all of a sudden he wins the U.S. Open shortly after that, but he was 100-1 to 1 to win a major. I would keep a very close eye on Cameron Davis as we get into some of these better events moving forward into 2024 because – if some of those prices end up entering in that 100 to 1 range, I think there's value on those numbers. I don't know if it's here against the Gala because I think he's also a top 25 player, which, I mean, I guess the one argument you could make uh, that of why I believe Davis is the favorite, if nothing else, is the Gala can be a little wonky off the tees, a little inconsistent in that area. Maybe that gives a slight little edge to Davis there, but I don't see a massive difference, in my opinion, that makes it worth a bet. I thought I agree. I thought there was a slight edge off the tee, and I think that perhaps the Gala was being a little bit overvalued because of the win in his most recent start and a top ten finish in this event last year. The thing for me is I don't know how he did it last year. I wasn't able to watch every shot, and we don't know if he hit the fairways, if he was slinging it on approach, or if he just got up and down and made an unsustainable number of putts. I will add that. Thigala, in his most recent start, in his win at the Fortinet, he had his best putting event of the entire season, dating back to last year's Fortinet Championship. So I wanted to try to fade that unsustainable uh, putting number. I'm not ruling out that I'm going to bet this. I just haven't bet it yet, and I know you don't like to bet. We don't like to bet big-name guys versus other big-name guys, and Thigala is the type of guy who could go 70, 70, 70, 63, and then ruin our Sunday and our entire next week. That's kind of that spikeable outlook that we're trying. Because the one difference here for a head-to-head matchup beyond anything else, and, and Cameron Davis obviously has that himself too, but I think when you have a no-cut tournament, you're always looking for that upside more so than the safety with it. Like you, you still need the right person to fade in a normal week. I'm always looking for a player that's just going to miss a cut and I can get that bet over on Friday night in this sort of a tournament. You are going to need that spikeability nature that comes into play. I, I, it would not shock me at some point if the Gala puts together that 63 that you're talking about and the bets winning for three days. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, he surges up the leaderboard into eighth place or whatever it ends up being with it. So uh, it's kind of just a stay away from me for that reason. But as I said, like I would put Cameron Davis as the favorite for whatever that is worth. I thought you made a great point on comparing him to Wyndham Clark. And as a result, I've been trying to find odds for Cameron Davis at the majors. And by searching Davis, I can find Davis rally is on the odds board and several majors, but Cameron Davis is not. So these cowards need to post him on <laughs> the odds boards uh, I, I'm intrigued to see what the number would be. I feel like 80, 90 to one would probably be something at a bit or a better price would be something I'd be willing to take a nibble on depending on the course fit. But at the same time, I feel like this guy's got such a complete game that it doesn't really matter where he plays. I think he's got a good chance anywhere. Um, yeah. So very excited to see those odds whenever they are posted eventually, because he's a guy who hasn't had that adjustment yet. And I think it's going to come before April. 
assuming we don't get a victory from him in this type of a tournament and he kind of just continues this trajectory that he's on, I've always been a believer that there will be some book out there that will make an egregious price on him somewhere where he may slip into that triple digit zone. And that's, I mean, obviously there, we're going to have to find that book who releases a price on him, but I, I would keep an eye out on him. All right. Getting into the rest of our card, Spencer is that uh, all you got on your card this week or you want to yeah. break down my last matchup? Yeah, we'll go to yours. I don't have anything else to discuss. I also don't have a round one matchup currently. I, I searched the market trying to see if there was any value. Um, I I think that Batia play is interesting that you talked about. My model liked him this week. I just couldn't really find – I'm maybe a little bit higher on Davis Riley than you were. I, I think you're on the right side of the matchup certainly there, but – I didn't have a big enough edge anywhere to want to jump in. Obviously, the placement markets are going to be a problem. I prefer to try to have the top 40 market, which you're never going to get in a 70-something person field. So uh, that's going to be the card for me. Maybe on for round two, things change, and I can jump back in for a matchup where the number moves too far in one direction. But I, I think for me, it really just came down to trying to find options that I am willing to fade. And I mean – if we want to talk about some of those names, just so I can give an answer there, like obviously Joel Damon is going to be the really strong one that I have the stance on, but um, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody else necessarily, like I'm trying to quickly run through here. I, I consider Taylor Montgomery taking him on. Uh, if you could find a matchup against yeah, that makes him. A lot of sense. I, yeah. I, I think he's a player that we saw a little something from him in Vegas, but you know, there was expectations for why I thought there was a reason behind that. I think this is all of a sudden a very dangerous course fit for him. Um, maybe SH Kim, if you're trying to take him on, I think he's very boomer bust. I, I would worry maybe that he puts together one day where he spikes up. But uh, those were the ultimate three names that I found that I was trying to find a matchup on. Obviously, I found it against Damon, but... Uh, in the right situation against Montgomery, I could consider that. The right situation against S.H. Kim, I could consider that. Um, I do think if you are looking for potential matchups out there, I want to say one of the situations was uh, K.H. Lee over S.H. Kim. That number moved rapidly. Mm. I, I also thought that the the Damon route was the better way to go with it, but I guess those would be the three players I'm looking to take on, but I'm curious to hear what you have, Roberto, left on the card. I have one sprinkle. So normally I will bet in my matchups or top 40 bets to win a half unit or a unit, or if I'm feeling super confident, maybe just a two or three times a year, I'll do for one and a half units. Uh, this one is for 0.2 units. So not a lot. This one more so to keep me up and watch, give me an incentive to watch the tournament. But, and because everybody's going to be talking about it throughout the whole uh, broadcast, I bet Keegan Bradley plus 100 over... Ricky Fowler. One of them made the Ryder Cup. One of them did not. He has not unpacked his bags from the last Ryder Cup he played last decade. One of them is playing a course where he won last year. The other one, in his most recent uh, appearance, really struggled with the putter over there in Rome. He was sick. I'm not making. I'm not taking anything out of that. Uh, the Ryder Cup is an exhibition, and it's a road start. Never going to have a road start in golf. Otherwise, I think that, and we mentioned this on the show, talking about the Ryder Cup, you got to bet the home team just every time, especially in four ball. Um, I think Keegan Bradley is a better fit for this course, but the putting struggles that Ricky Fowler had there in Rome 
we're part of a larger trend that's been happening since his win at the Rocket Mortgage. And if that putter is not a huge asset for Ricky Fowler, Keegan Bradley should be favored over him. So at plus 100, it was enough for me to take a nibble on just 0.2 units. So not going to be a big deal for me whether it hits or not. But I'm very intrigued to see how Keegan Bradley does in his title defense this week. Uh, they have the same putter, by the way, so they could flip, flip, flip off the putters um, and be all right. But I like Keegan Bradley this week. I still love the course fit for him. Not going to bet him outright at, I think, 22 to 1 compared to 35 we got last year. But I thought there was this was a good way to back him against uh, Ricky Fowler. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, we can add a friendly wager to that point two units that you have. <laughs> I, I, I lean the Ricky Fowler side. I, I agree with your Keegan Bradley sentiment there. I have no reason that I'd want to take him on. I, I This is the exact type of a course that you would expect him to find success. Great ball striking, maybe some of the putting gets... And by the way, I mean, the putting numbers for Keegan inside of my sheet are phenomenal. Like, th that is the, the biggest turnaround that we have seen from him for why things have kind of shifted in the right direction. Um, I, 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 ju I just... I, I guess the thing is, is I, I am really high on Ricky Fowler this week. Um, maybe it ends up blowing up in my face because I know he has not been great since that victory at the Rocket Mortgage, but... Um, you know, I think there were two guys that at least I noticed that opened at that 2022 sort of a number that just got blasted down the board into that 14, 16 to one range. One is the guy you're on in Sanjay. The other one is the guy I'm on in Ricky there. So I, uh, I am much higher than you are on Ricky, but it doesn't mean that I dislike Bradley by any means there. Well, we can figure out, uh, off the air, what, what our, uh, side bet's going to be on Fowler and, uh, Keegan Bradley. I also wanted to share, I because they got they released the tee times a little bit earlier, and I normally do the Wednesday first round leader article on Action Network, uh, which has been a source of my Thursday pain the last two weeks. Uh, over the last two tournaments, bet Sam Ryder first round leader. He got to plus a hundred uh, live odds to have the first round lead at uh, the Sanderson, and then bogeyed his next two holes. And then last week we got to minus a thousand with with JT Poston and then Bo Hostler happened. So this week we're going to cash a ticket on a first round leader and it's going to be on a Wednesday night because we're cursed on Thursdays. I'm going back to the well with Sam Ryder. I don't think he has enough uh, to win this tournament over a four day period, but the putter's really hot. The approach plays really strong and he can hit fairway. So give me him at 55 to one. I'm going to go Adam Shank 40 to one, not his best week last week. Got a little head start on the travel to Japan but he's got as high of a ceiling as anybody else in this field, not named Shoffley or Morikawa. And so give me him for first round leader at 40 to one. And then also my guy, Taylor Moore, 55 to one. We mentioned he can get red hot with the putter. I like him uh, at 55 to one for first round leader. Any thoughts on those or anybody you might be eyeing for a potential FRL play? I know it's not your favorite market. I said it wasn't my favorite market. I come on last week's show. I give JT Poston as one of the options. It, I, I went as far, which is, I mean, this was the kiss of death once I did this. <laughs> I pulled the clip to get ready to post onto Twitter. Oh, I, I no. Thought nobody, I thought nobody in the afternoon could potentially, like, could possibly catch him. I, obviously, the wind died down a little bit, and I, I'm sitting there, and I was out and about, and I, and I see the wind just getting, like, less intense as the day's going on. And I, and I was not checking the scores at this moment. I'm like, oh, this is not great. And I saw Bo Hossler shooting up the leaderboard. Still difficult, though, to get to nine under par in that situation. And 
unfortunately, I checked back and, you know, Hosser did everything right for the most part down the stretch to make sure that that bet lost. I don't have anything in the first round leader market. It has been a very sad year for me in that front. Like there's been so many plays that I, I would have thought would have been a win. And then they fell apart at the end or there's splits that came from it. I do want to say as far as Adam Schenk is concerned, this is a really, in my opinion, a really nice bounce back spot for him. Everybody wanted to play him last week, including myself. I had him in a diff, a lot of different iterations of the market. He disappointed everybody. I think whether you're talking DFS, a first round leader bet, even if you want to just talk about potentially, I mean, I mentioned him at the start of the show. Like, I think there's legitimate win equity on, on him mm-hmm. at this course. Didn't get there with the way that I built my card, but I would keep an eye on him. I, I guess the other person that I would just throw out there to keep an eye on because he does have such high upside numbers when he puts it together would be Vincent Norman. I don't know if I'm going to get there on any Love of these majors in the first round leader market. And maybe this is one of those spots where it's like, if I don't actually put the play and I just put it out into existence here, the bet will get across the finish line. But uh, for me, those would be just much more fun plays to throw out there. I don't know if we necessarily have much of an edge in the market with the way that the pricing was put out. Vincent Norman is someone whom I've put on my first round leader card and through 14, 15 holes have felt really good. And then he three putts from 15 feet and has traumatized me. So uh, I can see anything happening with Vincent Norman. I've been on all sides of that spectrum. I love his game and on a course where putting is going to be minimized. I like that for him a lot. What's the best number in the market right now on him that you can get? 50 to one. I think it's in that range, but Shank, you surprised me because he's 45 to one and I do the opening odds post for us at action and he was 35 to one at open. So significant odds movement. And at 35 to one for me, it was a pass, but at 45, which I'm just seeing now for the first time, my card is a little bit saturated, but I like that play. I think 45 to one in this, I think it's a great course fit for him. And he has a lot of what I like from Taylor Moore, but he's a little bit better on approach and, very solid with the putter as well. I would say, I would say he is intriguing. And and I guess the other person that I'll throw out there, if you want in that 45 to 50 to one range, uh, JJ spawn, I kind of keep going back to him. I think they're very different golfers in that spawn, higher floor, lower ceiling, shank, lower floor, higher ceiling. But certain guys to make it official on this show. I I didn't want to go this route, giving out first round leader plays, but since we have such little action right now, Maybe I will tell you on the shank play. My model thought he had upside for him. I'll go down the Vincent Norman route. The best number I can see there would be 50 to one. And then the best number I can find on spawn would also be 50 to one. So shank spawn Norman. We'll make it. Official All right, let's for the lock it in. Have some fun with this. Let's do it. All right, Spencer. Uh, one more time. Want to share that Links and Locks is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. They believe that every sport should be epic. Every touchdown, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today with code ACTION. That's A-C-T-I-O-N. And you'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just one single dollar. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older only. Must be present in Colorado, Kentucky, Iowa, New Jersey, Ohio, or Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Spencer, 
Where else can the people find you this week unless you've got any other plays on your card? No, I. that's going to be it for me. You can find me on Twitter at Tee Sports. Don't know what I'm going to do for my my Wednesday article over at Action Network. I, I talked about that. I don't think I'm going to have a round one matchup in play. Maybe we'll just talk about some potential overrated, underrated commodities that I had inside my sheet. Uh, if you want to head over to Rotoball or you can get my model, get any of the data that I've talked about. And I think for my end, for this friendly bet that we have between Fowler over Bradley, uh, at least on my end of the bet there, I mean, I would like you to dress up as Jason Day for Halloween. We'll see if that's something <laughs> that you're willing to do. If you want to tell me what you would like for my end, we can go in that direction. But that's that's what I'm going to petition for at this moment. Oh, okay. Um, if I have to dress up as Jason Day, which I'm excited to do, uh, I'm going to make you dress up as Colin Morikawa. And hopefully he cashes this week so you can spend a little extra on that costume. Oh, this sounds... This, this is like my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see if that happens um and maybe we get some side action with nick on it too um you can find our third partner podcast partner nick bretwish on twitter at sticks picks that sticks with an x and you can find me on twitter at roberto a213 i'll have the first round leader article for you guys on action network tomorrow afternoon which we are going to catch this week um and then as always want to say a big thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible especially our producer Noah Niederhofer and our executive producer here at the Action Network, Matt Mitchell. Uh, thanks for tuning in to our Zozo Championship Tournament Preview, and here's to hoping you hit a home run in the land of the rising sun. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.